This morning I want to go through a study. We're going to jump all over Ecclesiastes, back and forth. But hopefully at the end we kind of bring the book of Ecclesiastes into focus. And I believe it's a very interesting book. It's really kind of fun to read. It's, it's, um, we've just kind of gone through that with our daily reading not too awful long ago. And, uh, and I thought I'd pull a, a lesson from the archives and, and teach on uh, Ecclesiastes. Basically, life under the sun is what we're going to notice this morning. The book of Ecclesiastes is kind of considered maybe one of the saddest books because it doesn't, if you just kind of start reading and you focus on the negative things, it kind of brings a lot of sadness to to a person's heart, but I believe it's um, uh, easily understood and, and helps us in our daily Christian living. The writer seems to speak of people who teach that materialism is a good thing in life and that man is mortal and will not exist, of course, after this earthly life is over. And, and to that, um, uh, the motive in life is to gratify ourselves and, and get everything we can out of life because when life is over, we're just, it's done. That's all there is to it. It'll end in death. But Ecclesiastes certainly is not a book that we should ignore. Um, in the materialistic society that we live, um, I think it's a good thing to understand the meaning of what is written in this book and, uh, the, and, and, and the message, of course, that the preacher has to say here. Also, with our youth-oriented society that we live in, because now um, in, in a person's youth, they are told to just enjoy life and live it up and live for the moment and if it feels good do it and all those kinds of things and I believe that it also talks about a person that's older in life as well as those that are younger in life and how to focus on certain things. So in our introduction to Ecclesiastes in the Hebrew Bible the book is called Koholeth which means the words of the preacher. The term suggests one who gathers people together and speaks to an assembly, an ecclesiastic, or a preacher. The translators of the Septuagint version call it Ecclesiastes, with a K instead of a C, which also means preacher and is derived from the word ecclesia. The author, many believe to be Solomon, when the writer speaks and talks about all the things that he's done and all the wealth that he's had and the wisdom and everything like that, it's a picture of what we read about Solomon and what he did. There's some that say, no, it can't be Solomon. It's one of David's descendants and, and things like that. But for the present time, we'll stick with Solomon or just basically call him the writer, if you want to say. But he's talking about the words of the preacher. So the author now describes the searches for the meaning in life. In Ecclesiastes 1 and 13, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. So now the author talks about this search. 
and using and is seeking for, for what there is in life and the meaning of life, if you want to say. The purpose of the book is to make the reader stop and think about their responsibility to God and living a higher and holier life while here in this life on earth, getting ready for the life beyond the grave. In other words, to the Christian, we understand that there's more than just this life. And the writer is talking about and, 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 and reflecting on the life that he's lived and trying to reason out, well, if all this is for nothing, then what is there to life? That's the question. So Solomon's search pertains to life under the sun, living in this world, in other words. This phrase, life under the sun, excuse me, I'll get ahead of myself here. This phrase, life under the sun, is used 29 times in 27 verses. So Solomon is looking, for, looking at life from mostly a worldly point of view, and he says here in first, the first chapter, verse 3, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? So we work. We go to work every day. We, we, we do everything we're supposed to do, and we provide for our families, and we work ourselves crazy. And what profit is it for all this toil and all this hard work under the sun? So in verse 2, he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. Now, I, we just watched the uh, introduction to Ecclesiastes, and I got this la last little bit here from that video that was posted on the church's Facebook page. And it comes from the he Hebrew word hevel. Hevel. All is hevel. Now, most English Bibles translate hevel as meaningless. And is used 38 times in Ecclesiastes. But it has a deeper meaning than that. In the Hebrew, it is translated as vapor or smoke. And is referring to something that is temporary and fleeting, like a wisp of smoke. Also, how life is an enigma or a paradox. Like smoke, it appears solid. Sometimes we can't even see through it. It's very thick. But if you grasp at it, there's nothing there. You can't grab a hold of smoke. You can't grab a hold of wind because there's nothing there. Even though we can see it, even though it's something that looks solid, we can grasp at it and nothing is there. It's futile. It's useless, meaningless, emptiness, figuratively something transitory and unsatisfactory, unsatisfying. Since the things of this world are going to pass away with it, they are temporary. Of course, this vanity is referring to life under the sun. Notice the 14th verse of chapter 1. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. All the effort one makes in life, as far as this earthly life is concerned, is like a grasping of the wind or a vexation of spirit a phrase which occurs seven times and may be otherwise translated feeding on wind. 
Modern Hebrew grammar translates the word rendered vexation, a constant but unsatisfied seeking after something, the urge for man always wanting to go further after knowledge and earthly things. We've seen people that are driven, that are driven after just the things of this world, and they just won't let anything stop them. And that's what he's talking about, because they're never satisfied. The things of this earth do not satisfy us for what we really strive for in life, and that is the things that are higher and holier in life instead of the things of temporary use on this earth. Striving after wind or windy effort, chasing the wind. The preacher's message seems to be very negative about life. The major theme is the vanity of life. And vanity is used 35 times in 29 verses. So keeping all this in mind, chasing after the wind and the meaninglessness, things that we do in life, keep that all in mind as we go through this study of Ecclesiastes. So in verse 3, he says, What profit hath man of all his labor? Strong says, it defines that as preeminence or gain. Or in other words, what gain is there from all of our life here on earth? Now this doesn't mean in all of our hard work here on earth. It doesn't mean that we all just go out and quit our jobs because it's meaningless. That isn't what it means. But in other words, if we're working after worldly things and that's our focus, and it's vanity, then what's the purpose of doing all that? What's the purpose of putting importance on those things? What's the gain? The things of this earth will come to an end when the earth is destroyed, according to 2 Peter 2 and verse 10. Nothing a man labors for will be left afterwards, so no man can get anything more out of life than what he puts into it. This means that if a man lives for fleshly things, temporal things only, he will have nothing left at the end because all that will be destroyed. But the preacher uses such words as joy and rejoice and enjoyment and joyfully in his description of things throughout Ecclesiastes. So there's got to be something that's good. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes provides us counsel on how to get the most out of life. To find joy in a life that is filled with vanity or meaninglessness. If all this is meaningless on this earth, then where can we find joy? If it's of no value, then why are we doing all this? Notice the second chapter, verses 22 through 24. For what has a man for all his labor? And for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful, and his work burdensome, even in the night, his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should rejoice, should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. So there's something that is joyful in life. And we're going to notice more about that. To find joy, we must first face the reality of the vanity of life, though. There's vanity and pleasure, Ecclesiastes 2 and 10. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, but surely 
This also was vanity. There's vanity in earthly labor, Ecclesiastes 2 and 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Notice four, chapter 4 and verse 4. Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work a man envied by his neighbor, this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. There's vanity in human wisdom, Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 15. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise than I said in my heart, this also is vanity. There's vanity in all life, Ecclesiastes 2 and 17. Therefore I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Vanity is leaving, uh, of leaving inheritance. The second chapter, verses 18 through 21. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I have toiled and in which I have, have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. We work hard, and when we die, all of our labor and all of our assets Go on to someone else. So he says, it's meaningless. Then he talks about the preacher's observations of, of life that he has lived. He says in chapter 3 and verses 19 through 21, For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and all return to dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth? He talks about his observations of the vanity of acquiring riches over family. In chapter 4, and verses 7 through 8, then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asked, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. The vanity of loving abundance, fifth chapter and verse 10. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. The vanity of wealth, Ecclesiastes 6 and 2. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires, yet God does not give him power to eat of it, for a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity and is an evil affliction. 
the vanity of foolish laughter. Chapter 7, verse 6, For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. The vanity of injustice in this life. Life is not fair. Notice chapter 8 and verse 14. There is a vanity which occurs on earth, that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, For I considered all that is in my heart, so that I could not, so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, to the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. There. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. You see, life is not fair. Good things happen to good people, and they happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people, and they happen to bad people. It talks about the vanity of childhood and youth. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. In other words, there's a time to grow up, and there's a time to be a child. And some people have a problem with growing up. But it's in vanity. So he says, he talks about the conclusion, the preacher's conclusion. And that's stated in verse 1, or chapter 1 and verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's what the start was. Now he goes to, to verse 14. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit or grasping for the wind. Many have come to the same conclusion and followed um, maybe into depression or worried about all the things that go on in this world. Worry and worry and worry and worry about everything that goes on in this world. But the preacher wanted us to learn and know how to find joy in this life. And you can have joy in your life, in this life. Even with all the things that are going on around us, we can find joy. Even though this world may be so depressing and meaningless. <clears throat> so let's notice a little bit about the joy in life. I get ahead of myself, yeah. The preacher's experience of joy, he talks here, he says, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Nothing wrong with that. 
Nothing wrong with being satisfied and having joy in your hard work. The reward of his labor was the joy in doing it. I know that, that many of us don't find joy in, in hard work and, and getting sore and getting hot and getting sweaty and, and having blisters on your hands or, or whatever it may be. Sometimes, you know, when, when we were kids and our parents told us to go mow the lawn or to stack the wood or bring in the wood or chop the wood or roof the house or paint the house or whatever it was, you know, we, we had to get several beatings in the meantime to be able to get those things accomplished. We didn't have fun doing that. But, you know, as we grow up and we go on and we get a, we get a, a job and we get a, a vocation, we can stand back and we can look at our work and we can find joy in that. We can find satisfaction in that. So he says, and this was my reward from all my labor. The preacher's observations um, about joy, in other words, he says, nothing is better than enjoying simple things and what we do. The ability to enjoy what you have and what you do comes from God. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy it says, for God, in, in the second chapter, verse 26, for God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Man should rejoice and do good. Also, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 12, I know that nothing is better than for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. We can find joy in doing good for others and for God as well. Every man should enjoy the good of their labor because it is the gift of God. Chapter 3 and verse 13. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. The gift of God, this is the enjoyment of the simple good things in life like friendships, like a good meal, like family, like a good day fishing, a good day hunting, a good day playing golf, or just enjoying the scenery and the sunny day and life out maybe in nature, camping or whatever it may be. The simple things of life. It doesn't take money to enjoy God's creation and what God has provided for us. This is a gift from God. So he goes on to talk in, in chapter 3 and verse 22. So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring to him to see what will happen after him. Again, this is one's heritage and it's the gift of God. Notice chapter five and verses 18 through 20. Here's what I've seen. 
It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly in the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. For he shall, he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. Even though we go through struggles and hard times, we seem to not remember all those hard times and sadness and difficulties because of the joy what we give from sitting back and just enjoying the simple things of life and rejoicing in the work of our labor. So in the day of prosperity, rejoice, and in the day of adversity, we stop and we think on God. Notice chapter 7, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed one, the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. We take the good and the bad. We should stop and think about the, the cause and learn from problems that we've had and mistakes that we've made. Certainly, we consider those. And some of those we've created by ourselves, for ourselves. We've made bad choices in life. And we pay the cost and we pay the price for those things. And they aren't joyful. So we stop and we think about those things. And we pray to God and we think about godly things. <clears throat> the one thing is, though, that we will not get to keep our possessions after this life. So he recommends enjoyment of the fruit of one's labor. Chapter 8 and verse 15. So I commend enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. Now, that doesn't mean that we just quit our jobs and we go out and we sit on a mountaintop and we just sit there and we don't do anything about that because we're enjoying God's creation and we don't have any responsibilities. No, that is not what he's saying. He's saying enjoy the fruit of your labor. Enjoy life as it is given to you. Don't spend all your time and all of your talent and everything on gaining things in this world. So the preacher's conclusion. First, accept that life is not always fair and we are not in control. Good things happen to good people as well as bad people and bad things happen to good people as well as bad people. When we actually put our trust in God we will learn to accept life the way it is and not the way that we think it ought to be. We all see how other people live, live their lives and we think, that's the way my life needs to be. That's the way my life ought to be. No, accept it for what it is and go on. <clears throat> Worry, worrying about things that are meaningless and putting so much importance on them is a waste 
of our time and our energy. Doesn't, God doesn't care whether we're rich or poor. He doesn't care about our status in life. That doesn't concern him. What he concerns, what concerns him and he cares about is our service to him. So he says, eat, drink, and be merry. He says, express your joy in how you live. He says, live joyfully with your wife whom you love. Enjoy your youth, but remember you will be accountable. In Ecclesiastes 11, verses 9 through 10, Rejoice, O man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. And he goes on to say, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. So when you're young, we have high hopes of everything that we want to accomplish and that we will be in life. But the life without God is a life that is void of satisfaction. There's no pleasure in that life, true pleasure in that life. There's no satisfaction to the soul. So don't be deceived by the meaningless things and don't focus on those things that are of no value. Remember your creator while you're young. The person that doesn't remember their creator, well, when they get to the end of the latter part of their life, they look back on the younger years and they look at their life and they say, I had no pleasure, no true pleasure because I didn't remember my creator in the days of my youth. As their lives are coming to an end, if not living a life for God, when that time comes, the things of life will be of less interest. You know, when I, I see older folks, they, they have pleasure in their life because they're looking for something that is much better than this life. And that's where we get our joy. They'll have joy in their declining years. But now this is the conclusion to everything the preacher has mentioned in this book. He says in the 12th chapter and verses 13 through 14, let us hear the conclusion to the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Or in the King James Version, it says, this is the duty of man, the whole duty of man. A life of living for God will not be meaningless or like chasing after the wind. This is your whole meaning in life. This is the conclusion to everything that the preacher has analyzed. And he's looked at his life and all the labor and all this that he's done through life. And where did he find joy? He found joy in God's creation. He found joy in his hard work. And he found joy in the fact of serving God and keeping him first and obeying his commandments. That's where he found true joy. The things of this life bring temporary joy. Temporary. But the things of God bring lasting joy that will last forever. So, 
This is all that counts. This is all that has any value. This is it. To serve God, fear God, and keep his commandments. Then he goes on to say in verse 14, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret, secret thing, whether good or evil. So even though life isn't fair, even though we think we may got a bad deal, even though things didn't work out for us the way that we wanted them to, even though we come up against all kinds of problems in life and all kinds of hurdles and all kinds of obstructions and people don't treat us right and people don't treat us fair. Sometimes we seem like there's no reward for our hard work here on this earth and everything that we've done, that all of it's just been for nothing. God will bring every work into judgment. God will make it fair one of these days. Absolutely. For your life of living and obeying his commandments, he will make it fair. For those that decide they don't want to live a life of serving God, he will make it fair. He will bring every work into judgment, whether good or evil. So, life under the sun is vanity. There's no meaning to strive for earthly things. Without God, there's no real meaning in life. Without God, you will not be able to truly enjoy your time on earth because all you're striving for is earthly things that have no value. Life under the sun can be filled with joy, though, experiencing the joyful memories of life, the memories of family, the memories of loved ones, the good times, the things that you've enjoyed in life. With God to guide us in keeping our priorities in life straight and with God to bless us with wisdom and the ability to enjoy what good there is in life. To find joy in the vanity of life, he says, remember your creator. Fear God and keep his commandments. Today that especially means for us to obey Christ our Savior and obey the gospel plan of salvation and obey God's commandments. Mark 8 and verses 34 through 37. When he had called the people to himself and his disciples also, he said to them, Whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So, if this world and all the striving for things of this world is of no value, is meaningless, is like grasping for the wind, then let's place our importance on things that are meaningful in life and following Jesus. I ran across this quick poem uh, that Mike Criswell put out. It somewhat kind of says a little bit about it, how our priorities in life are. Talk about the working farmer. He wasn't ready Sunday morn. The cows were lowing, needed corn. A lot of haying night before. Done took its toil and made him sore. So as he lay there in his bed and random thought ran through his head, if he could miss a little church, he'd be no longer in the lurch. 
There'd be more time for him to do the daily chores that made him stew. And so with pillow under head, he closed his eyes and hugged his bed. With blankets soft and covers warm, the church could wait. No one would mourn. No need for him to rush to prayer. Show up next week. No one will care. He'd toss a bit more in the plate. An extra five would expiate. His conscience pure would praise the more. Today was his to snooze and snore. And so it was down on the farm. The Lord's day passed without alarm. More weeks rolled around like pretty please and bent his back, but not his knees. The day once his, now his became and dodging church became his game. But soon he felt the toils of life. His heart was fraught with awful strife, till one dark night with great alarm he set things straight down on the farm. He went to bed ahead of time and woke up before the morning chime. He milked the cows and slopped the hogs. He gathered eggs and fed the dogs. He even found the time to pray, a custom new to start the day. Then by and by, as Sunday passed, he knew his faith was back at last. And as he mused, it finally came. Sow to the wind and reap life's pain. So the life of doing things for our pleasure, doing things that are comfortable, doing things that please us, for things here on this earth have no value. Serving God has value and has joy and pleasure. We enjoy the things God has left to us and the work of our hands and our hard labor. We enjoy those things here on earth, but that's all temporary and goes away. But serving God is forever and will bring true joy. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.